John 2 today. While you're turning there, let me give you a little bit of setup. I have been talking about the miracles of Jesus the last few weeks. On Wednesdays and Sundays when I was on my little vacation at the beginning of the summer, I just felt led to dig in and study the miracles of Christ because the miracles in the Bible were written down. Jesus did hundreds and hundreds. It even says in the Bible very plainly that if everything Jesus did was written down, not even all the libraries in existence in the world could have held all the things that he did. So by way of the Gospels, which were eyewitness accounts of everything Jesus both began to do and to teach, and I want to tell you something this morning, that Jesus both began to do and teach 2,000 years ago, and he's still doing and he's still teaching today because we are living in the book of Acts. Acts, The book of Acts did not end. It continued on right here to this very present day. And they're called signs and wonders. And signs point to something. If you see the sign above the door right here on the side, it's pointing you in a direction. So the signs and wonders that Jesus did were signs pointing to, I believe, very first thing that it points us to is the nature of God. One question that I usually ask myself when I read one of the miracles is, God, what does this reveal about your nature and who you are? Because that's what Jesus came to do. Jesus came to show us who the Heavenly Father was and how we can come into relationship with him. And here in John 2, I've been studying this for a couple of weeks. And so today I'm just going to more pour out my heart before you than I am just going to just teach. Because I really believe that the Holy Spirit has something to speak to people here today. How many would like God to speak to your heart? How does he do that? He does it through his word. Amen. The word that he has given that you have written down right in front of you is the word of God. It cannot fail when we put it into practice in faith. And today I want to talk about this miracle in John 2, which is water to wine, because Jesus' miracles were to demonstrate more than just the demonstration of God's raw power, even though it did. It's a demonstration of spiritual truth. So the lesson today in John 2 is more than just saying, wow, what a miracle. It should demonstrate spiritual truth that we can then apply to our lives and begin to walk out what God wants. Now, John is a great book. Many new believers that I minister to over the years, um, including myself, when I got saved over 26 years ago, Somebody came to me and began to mentor me and just talk to me and be a friend to me. It was an older gentleman in our church named Rick. And I said, man, where where should I start? I was so hungry for the word of God. Did not grow up in church. Did not grow up luxury of Sunday schools and seeing the little flannel graphs of Abraham, right? And Zacchaeus, wee little man was he. I mean, I've learned these because my wife grew up in Sunday school. And so we'll sing those songs together. And But here in John 2... There's something that's much deeper than what you would read and just simply say, wow. Because when you read the story, you would read it and you'd say, oh, there was, there was a couple there that were going to be deeply embarrassed that they ran out of wine. Weddings in Jewish culture went for days and days and days. It was a long celebration. And basically the old Jewish saying is when the wine ran out, the party ended, right? And if you read it, you just look at it as a story of, the wine ran out. Jesus didn't want him to be ashamed. He didn't want him to, he didn't want him to, the, the couple to look bad. So his mom wanted him to do this miracle. It wasn't even his hour yet, he said. But there's always something deeper going on. Everybody say deeper. I mean, a shallow interpretation of John 2 would be the question of can Christians drink? 
That, that comes up a lot, doesn't it? People who justify their alcoholism say, yeah, but in John 2, I don't think the question is, should Christians drink? I think the question you should ask yourself, should I drink? Come on. Are you hearing me? So we're not going to tackle those things as much today because I want to point out the shallow part and I want to take you deeper this morning in what the symbolism of John 2 is because this passage is incredibly rich in symbolism. It was Jesus' very first miracle, so it's telling us a lot about who God is. It's telling us a lot about what Jesus came to do. It's telling us a tremendous amount about our fallen human nature, and it's telling us that no matter what you're going through today, Jesus can turn your dirty water into wine. That's the title of my message today, if you'll allow me to give it to you, is In the Right Time, Jesus turns your water into wine. Come on, somebody. He always has his time. He always has his place. He always has his his way of doing the miracle. And John is a great book for new believers because as you read it, you can take what is written as eyewitness testimony. You can take what is written and begin to to look at it. But today we're going to go just a little bit deeper in John 2. If you're there, say amen. Amen. Verse 1 of John 2, on the third day there was a wedding in Cana of Galilee, and the mother of Jesus was there. Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding. You know, Jesus was the type of person that got invited to weddings and parties. I think that's super cool. Amen? Now both Jesus and his disciples were invited to the wedding, and when they ran out of wine, the mother of Jesus said to him, they have no wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says to you to do, do it. Now there were there six water pots of stone, according to the manner of purification of the Jews, containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Jesus said to them, Fill the water pots with water. And they filled them up to the brim. And he said to them, Draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. When the master of the feast had tasted the water that was made wine and did not know where it came from, but the servants who drew the water knew, the master of the feast called the bridegroom, and he said to him, Every man at the beginning sets out the good wine, and when the guests are well drunk, then the inferior. You have kept the good wine until now. The beginning of signs Jesus did in Cana of Galilee and manifested his glory, and his disciples believed in him." Father, for these next few minutes and moments as we delve into your word, I pray, God, that you would send your helper, the Holy Spirit, that would lead us into all truth. Lord, I pray that there would be change in each one of our lives today. If we came in under a burden today, God, I pray that burden would be broken. Lord, if we came in and don't know you and are not on our way to heaven, I pray conviction power would fall in this place. Lord, if we're dealing with situations that we've been dealing with for decades and decades and we feel like it would never change, God, I pray you would infuse hope into hearts today. Lord, I pray whatever is said of Jason Hanks would fall by the wayside, but whatever is said under the unction and the anointing of the Spirit of God would go into the hearts of these people today because, Lord, we declare today that we need your anointing, Father. We need you to speak to our hearts for you to change our lives, for you to do miracles in this house today because, God, we believe that you are the I am. You are the ever-present God, and you're an ever-present help in time of trouble. So, Lord, help me today minister to the flock of God in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. amen. All throughout the Old Testament, wine was a symbol that God's people were under God's favor. 
So when the symbolism of the story and one of the main elements of it being wine, it is symbolic of our relationship with Jesus because he said he would create new wine in our lives. That he would create something new out of something old. He would create something beautiful out of something broken. He would create something clean out of something that was dirty. In the book of Amos, especially in Zechariah and other places, in one place in Amos, it said that you will have a 10-acre vineyard and only be able to produce just a small amount of wine. According to the measurements in Jewish culture, it would have been about a gallon of wine. So when you see wine in the story and you see wine in the Bible, it's one of the several symbols of the Holy Spirit. Amen? It's also symbolic in the Old Testament that when God's people were living in God's way, they were under God's favor and the blessings flowed. And one of the blessings that they enjoyed was fruit from the ground, which created grapes, of course, and they were blessed. So the symbolism that we're going to talk about today is found here. If you look back down at the very first verse, it says, on the third day, everybody say third day. There was a wedding in Cana of Galilee. Now, John points this out, that this was the third day. Now, people hearing this, John was in his 90s at this point, writing his gospel. He had planted churches. He had discipled pastors. He had been on the Isle of Patmos at this point, and he's writing his testimony. He's writing his gospel. So when this went out to the churches that were in existence at that time, they would have unrolled the parchment. They would have begun to read John's gospel. And when they got to the part where it said, on the third day, the people listening probably would have had a different reaction than you are have here today, because we have a God of the third day. Amen. One of the Old Testament prophets, Hosea, said on the first day, the the people would be broken. On the second day, they would be broken. But on the third day, they would be restored and renewed. Because when you come to God, you come to a Messiah of the third day, which means there is resurrection power available for your problem today. That there is resurrection power. They said on the third day, he was at a wedding of Cana and Galilee. Now we know that on the third day, Jesus Christ rose again, which means today that whatever you're facing, God has a resurrection power answer for whatever it is. Because he's a Messiah of resurrection. That when you come to Jesus, you're coming to the third day Messiah. You're coming into healing. You're coming into resurrection. You're coming into a place of new life. Because he is... The God of the third day. Verse 2, if you'll look there with me. And Jesus and his disciples had also been invited to the wedding. When the wine was gone, Jesus' mother said to him, They have no more wine. Now, when the wine was gone, again, if you look at this on the surface, you would surface say and read through this and in a surface way just say, Man, what a bummer. They're having a good wedding feast. Everybody's enjoying themselves. And the wine is gone. Understand something in the context of the scripture that they were very big into honor and shame. They were a big honor and shame culture. So her coming to Jesus with this problem meant that she was worried about the man that through the wedding ceremony being embarrassed and shameful. Now, again, if you read that as a surface level, you would say Mary and Jesus were concerned about somebody being ashamed. But I got a deeper question for you this morning. Do we serve a God that can do something about our shame? 
Do we serve a God that's concerned about us being ashamed? Because on the surface you look and you just say, oh, it's a story about them trying to help somebody out. And the community and her family and and others would have been looking at this new groom because he would have spent approximately a year getting ready for this wedding feast. So he's demonstrating to the community that I can take care of my bride. I have prepared everything for my bride. I have made all the necessary arrangements for her to be betrothed to me. And on a surface level, we can all certainly understand that as most in here are married, teenagers, if you're not. It is good for the man to step up and have a plan of how to take care of his family. That's biblical, amen? That's not, that's not cultural. That is biblical that we are to take. So on the surface, you see that and you say, okay, He was getting married, and he had to pay a price. Everybody say price. In Jewish wedding culture, they would meet with the family, and if the the marriage proposal was accepted, then the family would take a goblet of wine at the table, and they'd pass it around, and they were beginning to seal a covenant. And then the husband would go to prepare, and he would go and pay a dowry, a price for the bride. Now, on a deeper level, I want you to understand that Jesus in this moment would have probably begun to think of down the road because Jesus knew who he was and he knew who he belonged to. He was the son of the living God that came to pay a price for our sin. So he's looking at a situation at a wedding that, that there was a price that needed to be paid. There was preparation that needed to be done. And here they are right in the middle of the celebration and something is running out. Our endeavor is defined so you not only had Jesus probably in his mind because it says his hour had not yet come his time to pay the penalty for sin his way to the cross he said many many times all throughout scripture church all the time my hour is not yet come my hour is not yet come my hour is not yet come so mary knows who her son is right you say, how does she know? Well, 30 years before, she was visited by an angel, correct? The angel's like, hell, you found favor with God. That had to have excited her. Oh, boy, what's up? what am I, I going to get out of this? You're going to be pregnant without ever knowing a man. And I love the part of the scripture because if you look deeper, this isn't just about a bridegroom being ashamed of running out of wine, a family having to walk for years looking around and everybody saying, yeah, those are the people that messed up the wedding ceremony. <laughs> Turn their nose up at them. Do you know who else identified with people turning their nose up at them? Is Mary. Because it says when the angel comes and says, she says, how is this going to be seeing that I have not known a man? And he said, it'll be a miracle from God. And it says she pondered all of these things in her heart. Now, you don't bury a treasure to keep it buried. You bury a treasure so that at the right time, you can uncover it and show its beauty. Right? She had pondered. She had stored. She all for 30 years knew in her heart of hearts of who her son was, but nobody else did. So it tells me in a deeper way, 
this right here about God. Again, we're reading this so we can begin to understand and know who our God is. And there's two things that I see here. Running out of wine at a wedding is insignificant at the surface. Wine at a party can't right up there with the most important things of life. But it tells us when you are known and loved by Jesus, there is no such thing as an insignificant request. There was a problem. Mary knew who her son was. She knew that he had miracle working power. She knew that he could fix something. And oftentimes we don't come to Jesus who is the one that can fix the problem this morning because we feel like this is too insignificant for God to be bothered with. Can I tell you, if you know him and you love him and you serve him, there is nothing that is insignificant with God. On the surface, this looked like an insignificant request, but can I take you deeper and tell you there are no insignificant requests with God. And then the second thing that I think it shows us about God and shows us in the story is that many here have things that you have not yet seen Jesus do. And I want to encourage you about the nature of God that when when it seems like it's been a long time and you your prayers feel like they're hitting the ceiling and your prayers feel like they're being ignored perhaps or whatever it is, can I tell you something this morning? How would Mary have felt of 30 years of waiting to be vindicated because... The whole community that she lived in had to have for years kind of. Yeah. Yeah. Her and her and her husband. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, how would you like to have lived with Jesus? Come on. He had half brothers. James, the half brother of Jesus, wrote the book of James. And I love the book of James because it's very pointed. People would ask Jesus questions and he'd ask him another question. James is just like, you want to know the answer? Here it is. Because I grew up with Jesus. And when dad came in the house and we were, we were in the back in the bedroom kind of cutting up, Jesus never got spanked. It was always my fault. Come on. <laughs> Couldn't be Jesus. And his family and his mother and his disciples are here. And none of them know exactly who he is, but Mary knows. My question for you this morning is in your heart of hearts, do you know that you know that when you truly bring something to Jesus, that Jesus then begins to answer and work on the miracle, whatever it is you need, and it doesn't matter how long it takes, because at the right time, Jesus can turn your water into wine. And there's an element of the miracle, again, on the surface that you say, oh, He turned water into wine. He took something that's water and completely changed it. Changes the very nature into... And here's the element that we sometimes miss when you think of this. To produce wine, I looked this up because I've never produced wine. At least I'm going to admit from the pulpit today. (laughs) I've never made wine. So I looked it up. It takes approximately from the grapes all the way to the bottling, all the way to wine aging, a minimum of seven years. If you want a really good bottle of wine, it takes perhaps 10 or longer for the, the wine to age. So in other words, Jesus did in seconds what took nature decades to accomplish. 
And that is really the element that he did in the miracle. And this is what I want to encourage your heart with. Again, don't just look shallow, look deeper. What he took out of the equation was the element of time. The Bible tells us very clearly that as long as the earth remains, it says this in Genesis, as long as the earth remains, there would be seed, time, harvest, time. Amen? Amen. Seed, time, harvest, time. And the Bible is very clear that whatsoever a man soweth, that will he reap. So you may be walking through a season, and I've, I've learned this with new Christians especially. They're like, man, I've served Jesus for three months. Three months. I've been tithing. I've been going to church. I've been doing Bible studies. I've been praying every morning, and nothing has changed. Can I encourage you today that you've got to plant in this season because you will always reap in a different season? But I also want to point you to something really awesome this morning is even in the element of time, if God needs to take the element of time, because some of you have looked around you and you say, man, I'm not as mature as this person on the other end of the row. I've gotten to know my brothers and sisters here at Christian Center Church, and it just seems like they've got such a strong walk with God. They they love God. They they seems like they can face anything that's in front of them with faith and with with boldness and with uh, trust in God. And I see that in them. And listen, most of us have gone through the by the way of crushing and time come on (laughs) to get to the place that we are but I want to tell somebody in this house this morning God has an accelerated growth plan for you because what he has called you to do is going to have him take the element of time out of it and you're going to grow more in a few days or in a few weeks than what other have in years and it's the element of time that he took out because it took decades for good wine to form. Some here today, I want you to know that what took others decades, you will see in an accelerated season. That's a word from the Holy Spirit for somebody in this room. It is. As I was studying yesterday, I just, I mean, the Holy Spirit just came in and I began to think about this element of time, and I began to think about this church. I began to think about many who have been prodigals and come back to God after a long length of time. And and you think today that, that the enemy has stolen years from you. I want you to know that God is a restorer. God is one who will restore the years that the enemy has tried to eat. And oftentimes, church, we put God or we put the devil right on par with God. Can I tell you something this morning? He's not. We serve a sovereign, powerful, awesome God. And the enemy himself is under. Because we say to ourselves, well, I spent 10 years messing up my life. It's going to take me 10 years to get it all back. I want to tell you that God's going to take the element of time and he's going to restore to you more than the enemy has taken from you. I'm not saying this to get you emotional. You say, why is he starting to yell if you're visiting? Why is he? Listen, I am passionate about this because I want to see you grow. I want to see new wine. 26 years ago when I gave my life to Christ, I didn't drink the Kool-Aid. I drank the new wine. And this man's life was revolutionized in a moment. In a moment, God completely, radically changed me. And it says the wine ran out. Listen, God will allow some things that you are looking to, to try to help you and to try to lean on. 
God will remove that so that we can finally come to an understanding that it wasn't the wine or it wasn't the money and it wasn't the, the church. It wasn't the family. It wasn't, it is God that sustains you. Amen. But sometimes he's going to let you run out of everything else so we can come to a place where we finally pull ourselves and come before him with honesty. So Mary's heart is breaking for the groom and this seems insignificant to us. And here's what she asked Jesus, and here's the reply. Look at verse 4 with me. Everybody say, new wine. New wine. Jesus said to her, woman, what does your concern have to do with me? My hour has not yet come. Now look back this way. Some of you fellows have been quoting this scripture for years and didn't even know it. Like when your wife comes and asks you to take out the trash. Woman, what does that have to do with me, right? <laughs> Funny enough, just yesterday, I was in this scripture. I was typing my notes yesterday, and Leah sent me a text to go take care of something for her, and I thought it would be funny. <laughs> Am I telling the truth? I just said, woman. I was quoting scripture to her. I said, woman, what does that have to do with me? Jokingly, well, then the phone started ringing. And I got scared. Some of you have been quoting scripture around your house. You're like, man, I feel spiritual this morning. I tell my wife all the time, what, what has that got to do with me? What? And a lot of people try to soften this up, but I, I sense a little bit of pointedness from Jesus to not disrespectful. Not, not, he honored his mom. He loved his mom. But listen, and this is a good lesson for us. Again, don't look shallow, look deeper. Jesus only did what the father told him to do. So there's this moment where he comes, she comes with a request that seems very shallow on the surface. It seems like, wow, really wine? I mean, if they run out, they run out. Because Jesus said, my hour has not yet come. He said it over and over and over again in the Gospels. You see it recorded, my hour has not yet come. His hour wasn't going to come until he stepped into the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a garden of crushing. We enjoy the new wine he was crushed for. it, And he said, my hour has come. So in other words, Jesus had a far deeper understanding of if he, listen, his mom comes, she has been under a cloud of innuendo for 30 years. This family is going to be uh, under a cloud of shame and innuendo for probably several years where everybody's like, yeah, I can't wait for this wedding feast because I know they won't blow it like these two. And there's something so much deeper going on because... Jesus stands there in this moment because here's the thing. He knows that once he takes the Clark Kent off and steps into his glory, he knows the clock has now started ticking. That he is going to pay the price for his own bride. He is going to create new wine for his own bride. He is going to go to the cross and pay a debt that we could not pay. So the moment that he's going to step into his power, the clock is going to begin to tick. And listen, it takes the hindsight that we get to enjoy to look back at the death and burial and resurrection of Jesus to understand this. 
this man is going to be shamed if he runs out of wine. Jesus, can, can you do anything about shame? And can I tell you something this morning? He absolutely can do something about shame because, again, shallow is the shame of the, the bridegroom. Deeper is you walked in here today and you feel like you've got a mountain of shame on your heart and on your life. So there's something much deeper going on here. He loves and respects Mary and cares about what is happening, but Jesus only does the will of the Father. So look at verse 5 with me. His mother said to the servants, Whatever he says for you to do, do it. That is a discipleship scripture par excellence in the Bible. The best discipleship scripture is right there. And when Jesus doesn't answer her prayer request the way that she wants, listen, her posture is still obedient discipleship. When Jesus doesn't answer exactly how we want, what is our response? Because I have a question for everybody here in this room. What is Jesus telling you to do? And then my second question is like it, but even more profound, why aren't you doing it? She looks and says to the servants, whatever he, because she has such a level of trust in her son, who is also the son of God, that she knows she can say whatever he says to do, do it. And why aren't you doing it? Listen, has anybody else besides me lived a life of trying to please everybody else? I feel like I'm living in the three little bears story sometimes, right? It, it, it just It's not good enough for some, it's too much for others, and it's just right for a few. And the more I've lived through life, I've begun to understand the only one that I really have to please is my Heavenly Father. Because there are a whole lot of opinions. Teens, this is what I want you to listen to me for a few minutes, because I have teenagers. And you guys are so worried about what everybody else thinks about you. And you get older, you realize that didn't mount to the hill of beans. Especially people in high school. Oh, come on. I mean, I graduated in 1991, so it's been a minute. It's been a minute. And you go back to your high school reunions, and first thing, you walk in and you're like, why is everybody so old? And the second thing you say is, why are everybody so fat? Right? I mean, you're walking around and that's why they put the names, the, the picture on the badges, amen? It's like, oh. One time I walked away like, oh. I almost dated her. In the words of the great 1900s theologian, Garth Brooks. Sometimes God's greatest gifts are unanswered prayers. Come on. And I left there thinking, I cared what these people thought. And church, if you're more concerned about what the world thinks about the way that you're living than you are God, you aren't going to do what he says for you to do. And the only way for you to see a miracle of water into wine is Jesus, I will do what you tell me to do. Because we're always so concerned about everybody else's opinion, especially young people that are in here today. Listen, you're worried, man, if I go to that Bible study that's going on at the high school there at lunchtime, everybody else is going to think I'm so good. Listen, if you're more worried about what people think, because I'm telling you this morning the the honest truth, those people aren't going to walk through anything with you, but Jesus will. 
Those people will leave you. Those people will leave you high and dry. But I got one that sticks closer than a brother. And his name is Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And he loves you and he has a plan for your life. Whatever he says to do, do it. So a huge key in this, again, shallow is just thinking, okay, she, she's trying to pull him into this. No, she trusted him to make the right decision at that time. You know, the gospel according to Oprah is just follow your heart, right? Can I tell you, your heart is deceptive. Do not follow your heart. Man, pastor and young adults for years, they come and just say, man, I just... It's just what my heart's telling me to do. And they'd explain it to me, and I'd say, that doesn't line up with the Word of God. You see, you already have a Jesus speaking to you because you have a Bible in your hand. We And, man, if I had a nickel or a dime or a quarter or a dollar maybe for every time somebody came, well, Jesus told me, well, does it line up with his Word? Because God is never going to tell you to do something that doesn't line up with what he has already declared in his written Word. But I also want to say this to you. Some of you are like, that's the only way he's going to speak. Jesus speaks to me in a lot of different ways. Anybody else testify to that? But I, when I pray it through, when I seek him, when I'm listening for his still small voice, if you belong to Jesus, guess what? You're one of his sheep and it says you know his voice. If the church could just learn again to listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit and not only hear it, but then begin to have boldness to do it, we would see a community change. And I believe I've got some people this morning that will do what God is calling them to do. He looks at his servant, look, she looks at the servants, whatever he says to do, do it. Look back down here at verse 6. Now there were set there six water pots of stone according to the manner of purification of the Jews containing 20 or 30 gallons apiece. Now look back this way. Surface, water pots. They probably had been holding wine in them. They Big party, 20, 30 gallons apiece. But they didn't hold wine in stone water pots. Six in the Bible is the number that designates man. 666 in the book of Revelation. Amen. Seven is God, seven is perfection, six is a number for man. So there's symbolism even in what we're about to see happen in the miracle of this. The Jews, when they came into anything, but especially a wedding party, dinners, festivals, feasts, they had a ritual purification ceremony that they did that was laid out for them in Leviticus and you obviously see the wisdom, especially as we deal with viruses and different things. It was, it was a cleansing. But listen, the Jews took it to the nth degree like they did a lot of things. And these pots would have been sitting there where Jesus was present. His mom has just looked at him and she walks out still with kind of a, a, a cloud over her saying, when is it that he's going to reveal himself? And everybody says, and, and this isn't just fleshly vindi- vindi- vindication. She wanted to see her son become, be who he was. Amen. So she walks out and says, whatever he says to do, do it. There's these six water, water things of, of pots of water. And what they would do when they came in 
is they would have a ritual where they would clean off. It was a rural society. This was a backwater town. This would have been a town that was out of the way. It would have been a town that nobody would have gone to unless you had a reason to go to it. There was no high-ranking officials there, more than likely. Caesar didn't know this was going on. Herod didn't know this was going on. The Jewish Sanhedrin and the Jewish leaders didn't know this was going on. This was just a simple wedding of simple people. Nobody important. Nobody famous. Nobody that could look and say, wow, we have a great prophet that has risen among us. It was so such a simple ceremony, but Jesus looks and he sees the six water pots and Jews would have come in with dirt on them from traveling and dusty roads and dirt's being kicked up. And so you walked into a place and what they would do is they had a real elaborate ritual where they would dip their arms, listen, with dirt on it, dip it down into the water and they would splash it on their face and they would begin to cleanse. They would even at times cleanse their feet before they went on into the house. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. What happens to clean water when people have been sticking their arms and their feet and their faces in it? It becomes dirty dishwater, right? Anybody let dishwater sit in the sink overnight? Ugh. You won't admit it. Leah does it all. No, I'm kidding. I'm joking. I'm kidding. And listen, this ritual was to show everybody that I'm clean on the outside. On the outside. Cleaned on the outside. But Jesus is about to institute a new covenant in three years of his blood that says this isn't going to be something. Because we get so concerned on the outside and what you look like today, especially if you're wearing orange and blue. We get so concerned about the outside that we're not as concerned about what's going on on the inside. And can I tell you, you've got a Savior that wants to clean you up on the inside out, not the outside in. Religion works on you. Jesus works in and through you. And he's pointing to a much deeper meaning in this scripture that, that, and listen, this, this applies to us in a very simple way in everyday life because we even come to church and we see somebody maybe in front of us that we think there's no way that God has done, done something in their life. They've got three earrings and fresh tattoos on their arms. Amen. We just say, well, surely they couldn't be. Can I tell you? Some people that look that way are much closer to God's kingdom than those who are complaining about the way other people look. Because I've gotten the unsigned letters from somebody. Amen. Well, why are they dressed like that? Listen, I'm not trying to get rid of you that has earrings and tattoo. I'm trying to get rid of the ones that act like that. We need the seats. Amen? Amen. Because the Jews had taken this to the nth degree that everything was about what the outward appearance. And Jesus is showing us something so deep that he didn't come just to change your outer. That will change over time. Amen? The closer you get to Jesus, the holier you should get. But we take holiness as the way you dress and the way you talk. I'm talking holiness is what's going on in your heart this morning. Because he doesn't want just your behavior. He wants your heart. And when he gets your heart and puts new wine on the inside, then everything begins to change in your life. That's the gospel. John 2 is the gospel laid out before us and preached right in front of our very eyes. Some of you came in this morning, why isn't the pastor wearing a tie? Because they're uncomfortable, okay? I'm just straight up telling you. You say, man, nobody would ever say that to you. Yes, they have. Because we get so concerned on the outer when Jesus is pointing to the inner. 
My point is we need to be careful of looking the part and worrying more about what the outside than we are concerned with our hearts. So these people came to a festival, a wedding. They would, they would ritually clean, and they would cleanse themselves, putting probably even their arms down into this water. So again, I want you to paint a picture in your own mind that when Jesus looked, and, and they kept wine in something, I was studying this the last couple of weeks, they kept wine in something called amphora. And amphora were just, they were, you know, clay pots, but they were probably only hold about two or three gallons at the most, usually about two. These were big stone pots full of dirty, nasty water. And listen to this. Clearly in the scripture, they've been there for three days now. So even if the servants had taken them and emptied, if you've ever emptied anything out that's got stuff in the bottom, if you don't turn them upside down and hose them out, which I doubt they did, there's still residue of dirt down on the inside of there. So look at verse 7. Jesus said to them, fill the water pots with water, and they filled them up to the brim. Now stop there, I just got to say it. If you fill your life with God and, and God alone, it pushes out anything else. And, and here the servants filled it up to the brim, all the way to the top, because it also speaks in, in a, it also speaks to us as Christians that we should not be half in and half out. You shouldn't, you shouldn't desire today to say, God, pastor's preaching on the new wine and me having a relationship with you and being filled with righteousness, joy, and peace. And that's what Jesus came to offer, the best wine. Filled up to the brim. And he said to them, draw some out now and take it to the master of the feast. And they took it. Think about this for a minute. Think about it. The servants had no idea who Jesus was. Disciples kind of had an idea, but they thought he was just a great prophet, a great teacher. So, at Mary's word, do whatever he tells you to do. Jesus says, take those pots, fill them completely up with water. The water that was used for the hand and the foot and the face washing. And take it to the person that's in charge of the party. And if I'm a servant standing there, my thought is, Jesus, we don't need dirty water. We need wine. Right? Jesus certainly could have said, hey, go check the pots. That could have happened. And they could have lifted off the lid and been like, it's a cab. You know? I don't know. You were laughing. We need to talk after because you knew what I meant. I tricked you. It's a white zen. It's, I don't drink wine. But they would have opened it and been, he could have easily just said, hey, there's wine inside there. But there would have been two elements involved that are always involved in our miracles, if you, if you notice this. Faith and obedience. There are always two elements involved in anything we see God do in our life. It's doing what he has told you to do through his word, through the still small voice of the Holy Spirit, through trusted counselors in your life, through people who can discern what the Holy Spirit is saying. There's wisdom in many counselors. You come around other people and they're, they're, they're identifying, let any word that God speaks to you, let it be established in the mouth of two or three witnesses. You follow all these things and you begin to get direction from God. You see, sometimes we are great at identifying the areas we have a need in, but we're not as good at obeying the instruction of operating in faith. 
Let me say it again. They identified the need. We're out of wine. They identified the problem. There's going to be great shame brought on this family. Mary knew who to take the problem to. She took it to Jesus. Some of you have taken your problem to grandma and you've taken it to this one and you've taken it to your best friend and you've taken it. Can I encourage you? Take the problem to Jesus because he cares about what is on your mind. But then when you get to the point where Jesus is going to give you instructions, most of the time, if it doesn't make perfect sense to us, we disregard it. I mean, think about it. The servants are like, you want us to do what? I think the greatest element of the story are just these servants that said, okay. You don't have to understand what God is telling you to do to be obedient, to do it in faith. As a matter of fact, I would tell you the bigger the plan God has for you, the less you'll understand throughout your life what he's really working because God is actively doing 10,000 things in your life right now and you're probably aware of one or two of them. Because he's a God who works all things together for good for those who love him and are called according to his purpose. But you have to operate in obedience and you have to operate in faith. Listen, simple. you got to obey the instruction. Anytime we ask God for a miracle, you have to listen and you have to obey. God doesn't respond to miracles with miracles as much as he responds with instruction. Are you hearing me this morning? I have a request. And God says, okay, I've got some instruction. And we're like, no, I wanted a miracle. (laughs) Are you hearing me? I don't want the instruction. You know, the two places in the Gospels that Jesus looked and said, I am astounded at these people's faith. They were both Gentiles. Which is good news for, I assume, everybody in this room. I'm starting to think of a couple. So 99.8% of us. That is great news today. Because they were those who just said, Jesus, I believe you are who you said you are. I believe you'll do what you say you will do. Jesus, speak the word and this is going to be done. Amen. The, the Canaanite woman comes to him and falls at his feet. And Jesus, my, my, my children, I need a miracle for my kids. He says, it's not good to take the children's bread and serve it to the dogs. He offended her. <laughs> Listen, if you could get past where you think you're offended at God, he wasn't trying to offend you. He was trying to see how desperate you were to see the miracle come. Do I have any desperate people in the house? Because that is a recipe for a miracle. But they knew who to come to. You know who to come to today. And these servants are standing there, and they didn't take the top off and be like, that is the most beautiful smelling wine. They're looking at it, and in the Scripture, it's still dirty water. And let me tell you something this morning that I've learned in my life. Even when I haven't understood it, even when it looked like this was the wrong way to go, but I knew God spoke to my heart and spoke to my life, I just keep putting one foot in front of the other with the water in my hand, and I'm trusting Jesus on the way that, God, if you said that the water is going to become wine, then, Jesus, you'll do it on my way to be obedient to what you told me to do. That's called faith this morning, church. And, and I think the Jews fell into a trap, and I think we fall into it too, of having faith in our faith. You say, what do you mean by that? When Jesus looked at the two Gentiles that just sim- stood and understood a simple principle that you're the most powerful, you're, you're the most powerful God that exists. You are God himself in the flesh. 
And the Jews had faith in, in saying, well, we're the children of Abraham. I wash myself ritually. I bring a sacrifice on, on Yom Kippur. I, I, on the Day of Atonement, I sacrifice for my family. We go to all the festivals. We follow all the Jewish rules. We follow all the stuff. And they had faith in that instead of, can I tell you simply this morning, of just having faith in the character of God, that he cares for you, that he's for you. And if he tells you to put water in a pot and it, it doesn't make any sense, just do it. He tells you to take it out, draw And I love that. When they drew it out. You see, God's trying to draw something out of you today. Because until you lay aside what is already in there, there's not room for anything else to go in. There's the drawing out. There's an act of faith. of, And, and think about it as a servant. You want me to take this to the master of the feast? The head honcho? This old, dirty water? And again, let me circle back to something here at the end. And I want there to be a response today. The Holy Spirit is speaking to some of you very plainly. He wants to speak to your heart afresh and anew again today. Matter of fact, Buddy and Alyssa, if you guys, Alexis, I'm sorry, would come up and just begin to just get ready. We're going to go back into worship and this altar is going to open. And Jesus is going to take some old and put in something new. Let me circle back for just a second of the element of time in the story. That what, what he removed was the element of time that it took to see a miracle. And again, some of you have been praying and believing and seeking God for years and years and years. I just want to tell you something today. Today's the day for your miracle. So he says, go get some stone pots, fill them all the way up, draw it out and take it where I tell you. Can I tell you, I desire to be that kind of servant. When Jesus speaks to us, oftentimes, at least I'll tell on myself, I want it all figured out. Right? Well, how much? Should I walk or should I skip? Jesus, should I, should I hold it like this or hold it like that? We want all the details. And really, if we get back to the simplicity of just do what he says to do. Because here it is. How does this work for us? Every time you can, listen to me for just a minute. I'm giving you my few points and then we're going to pray. Every time you can, come under the influence of the Word of God. Every single Bible studies, devotional times, in your car, begin to put on the Word of God, begin to put on His Word. Because every time that I come under the Word of God, even here today, when you come under the, the Word of God being ministered, it brings instruction it's always to instruct us. And, and, and what else it does is it instructs us. And when you're instructed, then your faith grows that you're operating in what God told you to do. So if you are still operating in what God told you to do back here, but you haven't seen water t- change to wine yet, again, keep walking. Keep believing. Faith is hearing God and obeying God. You say, I don't understand. You said that this is going to grow faith in my life, Pastor. What is faith? Faith is hearing God. And faith comes by hearing and the hearing by the word of God. It comes from hearing God and obeying God. That's, faith isn't some magical pixie dust you sprinkle on your problem. Faith isn't a crowbar that you're trying to just get out of God's hands what you know that he doesn't want to give you and what you really want. 
We treat it that way. And even oftentimes, as I mentioned, we have faith in our faith. We've got faith in our own goodness and our own righteousness. i got to tell you, I've tripped up there. God, I'm just doing wonderful, man. I've left all this and I got over that and addictions out of my life and all these things. And then I began to think that I was deserving of his goodness and graciousness. <laughs> and I just am reminded constantly, any good thing in this man and any good thing in my life is done by the grace and the mercy of Jesus. Period. But it's, it's a faith zone. I want to come back to what I mentioned earlier, if you'd stand with me this morning. I want to tell some of you that Jesus can do a quick work. Matter of fact, uh, Connor, I go back into our worship setting, and I want you to just focus in on the Holy Spirit here as I, I close, and I invite anybody that the Holy Spirit touched this morning. I, the Lord told me to bring you up to the altar. And, and here's what he basically told me he was going to do for you this morning. He's going to do for me because I need this too. He's going to take the element of time out of the equation. That is such a powerful part of this. You read it on the surface and you're like, well, he's Jesus. He commands the winds and the waves. Everything that was created was created by him and for him and through him. All things were created apart from him. Everything, the molecules that he looked at and prayed over changed But the element that we are standing on this side of time, a lot of times we're just barely hanging on. We're just barely putting one foot in the front of the other. We're just barely clinging to God's word. I felt like I had a word from the Lord today for many of you that the thing that you've been believing God for for maybe 10, 15, 20 years, God says it's time for that water to be changed into wine. It's time for that miracle to come forth. Joel 2 says, I will restore the years the enemy has stolen. Let me give you a quick testimony. My mother-in-law, she co-pastored the church there in Walker with her husband, Brother Mac, Leah's dad, for 43 years. And not long after he retired, was it within a year or six months, he passed away. He had a stroke preaching. A stroke in the pulpit, lived about another five or six days. What was amazing is Leah's mom naturally is heartbroken. They're moving into the, he was about 73, four, Leah. And they're moving into the years that you get to travel and get to do stuff and all that. And I was right next to her in a service a few weeks later, and I heard this word given to her, and I thought, I've never heard a word like that given to somebody prophetically from the Holy Spirit. And this person came to her and and as far as I knew, didn't even know her that well. It was just the Holy Spirit was prompting them to go give her this. And the Lord said that the enemy stole your childhood. She had her father die when she was five in a trucking accident. So her and her mom and the siblings had to work the rest of her teenage years just to keep their head above water. So her childhood was taken from her. She didn't get to run around. She didn't get to play. They were sewing. They were, they were sewing curtains for Sears catalog with her mom. And, and all these years later, God comes back around and he says to her, I am going to give you your childhood back at 70 some years old. 
And I watched this play out over years. She would go on vacations with us, and she'd just be like a little kid. Oh, we want to ride that? Let's go ride that. Oh, we're going to go here? Let's all go there. She became like, here's my point this morning, is sometimes we think that that the enemy gets control of our lives. Can I tell you, he does not. God's word has the say. God's word is true. And we think that if, again, if, if it took 10 years for something to get messed up, then it's going to take 10 years for God to put it back. Can I tell you this morning, he's a God of miracle power. And he can take the element of time. You could actually receive the answer before you ever pull out of this parking lot because you heard the instruction of God. You obeyed the instruction of God. And when we hear the word of God, it creates something in us called faith. It's supernatural that nobody could ever convince you that God did not speak that to you. Nobody. So I want you to bow your head and close your eyes this morning. Jesus is the shepherd, the word of God says. And his sheep know his voice. So I want to invite you, if the Holy Spirit has spoken to you, that you've had a situation or a circumstance that's been going on for what you seem like is a long time. Jesus has the perfect time to turn your water into wine. Some of you are living under shame. And you feel like, man, Jesus, I'm just, I'm like that stone water pot. I'm just full of dirty water can i invite you to come this morning and pour that out to him because he has something beautiful and new for you it's called a new creation in christ jesus it's where we throw off the old and each one of these miracles church that we've studied and will continue to study one thing about it is people were willing to cast off something else to lay hold of something new And that is what you're doing by stepping out from where you are and making your way down to this altar this morning. You're literally saying, Jesus, I'm stepping out of what is here to to lay claim to something new. I want you to invite you. Just come up around this altar this morning. Just come up around this altar with this heart. You let him. You let him speak to you. You let him minister to you. You let him pour the the new wine and the new oil out upon your life. This is an important day for many of you. It's an important day. It's a day where the exchange will happen of the old for the new. For those of you who have been praying and believing for that, that one thing, it may be for a child. It may be for a family member that you've been praying for. I want to tell you something today. Jesus can make new wine. Just come up around here and lift your hands and begin to pour your heart out to him. Can we sing that? Can we sing new one? Yeah. Let's sing this together, church. And you guys listen for the voice of the Holy Spirit this morning. I want to tell you what I saw as you took that step of faith and said, I'm going to respond to what God is speaking to my heart. As you walked, I want you to know that everything began to shift. Everything began to turn. You you don't have to feel it. You just have to, by faith, lift it up to your lips like that man said. You saved the best wine for last. I want some of you to know. I want you to know that you operated in faith when you took that step. And as you were stepping, God is working in and in your family and on the situation And God, we pray today that there will be a great divine exchange as we've studied your word, Father. 
there would be an exchange that we lay out the old, the dirty, the junk. And God, we pray for a mighty filling of new wine for each and every heart, new wine for each and every life, new wine for each and every vessel. God, I thank you for miracle working power. God, I pray for those who have visited this altar right now that faith would rise up in their life and rise up in their hearts. That fear and anxiety would go in Jesus' name and faith would come now. That at your word and at your instruction, God, we pray that faith would rise up. For you, those of you that are there, I feel like there's some that... And I can't even see you, so don't think I'm talking about anybody particular. You may still be in your seat. I want you to know there's new wine for your marriage. There's new wine for your marriage. You might say, ah, there's too much water under the bridge. There's too much dirt in the pot. I want to tell you something today. God is a God of rejuvenation, restoration, and redemption. He is a God of redemption. He redeems us from the hand of the enemy. He redeems our life and fills us with good things, forgiveness and mercy and grace. Hallelujah, Lord. We bless your name today. We bless your name today. God, we believe that everything shifts when we bless your name. Everything changes, God, when we bless your name. Everything, everything, God. We will continually, as we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, God, we will fear no evil for your rod and your staff. They comfort us. You lead us and guide us. You lead us out and we know your voice. Father, I pray most especially right now in this moment for those who are gathered around this altar. Father, I pray you would give them ears to hear what the spirit of God is saying to them. God, I pray you would give them ears to hear what your voice is telling them and instructing them to do. God, they came to this altar in faith, believing that, God, you're going to show them, you're going to lead them, and you're going to guide them. And, God, we believe today that you have the perfect time to turn our water, our natural, what we can get, into wine. So, God, I pray today that you would even remove the element of time out of the miracle. When others have said that it'll be years before you're financially stable, I declare today that you are financially stable now. Others have said it'll take years to get over that betrayal in your marriage. I want to say that God is stripping that off right now in Jesus' name. Others have said it'll take years for you to ever get to the place, wherever it is that God's told you that you're getting to. I pray the removal of time and that we would walk in the blessing and the favor of Almighty God today in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, let's put our blessing up here if you would. Let's read this together, and instead of me saying it and you repeating it, let's just all say it together at the same time. I hope, if and we have these in the back still, I think. If we don't, we'll print some more out. But we're just encouraging people, because if you're like me, sometimes we speak so much negative over our lives, amen? We need to bless our lives. We need to bless our kids. We need to bless our families and our jobs. So I am blessed. I am blessed going in and blessed going out. I'm blessed in the bowl. I'm blessed in the field. I'm blessed in the city. And blessed in the country. My family is blessed. My home is blessed. Everything I put my hand to is blessed. Everywhere I put my foot down is blessed. 
Those that bless me are blessed. I am a blessing. Amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a good shout of praise. Let's give him a... Come on, let's let's praise him like he's doing the miracle even right now while we're blessing him. Hallelujah. 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 Father, I do bless the congregation today. May they be kept safe. May your angels be put around us. Father, this week we live in Florida, as you well know, and there's a storm brewing out there. We pray safety over our community. We pray safety over Florida. We pray that your hand would be upon us in this area and the whole state, God, that you would just shrink that thing down and blow it away if you need to. But, Lord, I pray your blessing of protection and your angels round about each one, God. Keep us under the shadow of your wings, Father, until we return back at the appointed time. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. And, guys, do keep an eye on social media and things. That thing's supposed to come in Tuesday, Wednesday. They don't know where. So just keep an eye on schedule of services and things for the week. Amen. Go in the name of the Lord. Be blessed. Amen. Good to be in the house of God today.